The throw. Down the sideline. Hester caught it. 10 5. Touchdown. Touchdown, Jackson State. He'll lose traffic. He'll drive it down and jam it in. Oh, my. Jamal Gregory. Highlight real time. Sports Center top 10 time. This is Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I am Tyler Brown. My co-host, Avery Davis, is off enjoying his fall break this week. This is episode eight of the series. Today's guest is JSU Director of Bands, Dr. Ken Bodiford. He, of course, will be talking about the Southerners, their upcoming homecoming performance, and the growth of the band since he returned to Jacksonville State in 1994. Our conversation is due up in just a few moments. If you're looking for previous episodes of Behind the Beak and want to get caught up, you can find those by searching Behind the Beak on the Apple Podcast app and Spotify or by going to jsugamecocksports.com podcasts. And if you haven't already, click the subscribe and follow buttons to be alerted when new episodes are available. Now it's time to get you caught up on the news. Jacksonville State football overpowered Eastern Illinois 28-20 at Charleston's O'Brien Field Saturday, October 12th. Senior safety Traco Williams was named the OVC Defensive Player of the Week for his efforts against the Panthers. That included five tackles and two interceptions. The Gamecocks return home Saturday, October 19th to host Southeast Missouri for homecoming. Kickoff is set for 3 p.m. The game will broadcast live on ESPN3 this week. Jacksonville State Volleyball remained in first place in the OVC standings with the help of a pair of wins over the weekend. JSU topped both Tennessee State and Belmont 3-0 on the road in Nashville. Both the Gamecocks and Moorhead State sit atop the standings with a 5-1 OVC record. Lexi Libs was named the OVC Setter of the Week following the two wins, totaling 70 assists, 6 kills, 21 digs, and 6 blocks against the Tigers and Bruins. Volleyball ramps up a four-match road trip Friday, October 18th, and Saturday, October 19th, with visits to SIUE and Eastern Illinois. Saturday's date with the Cougars is scheduled for 6 p.m., while the Gamecocks and Panthers meet at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Both matches are set to broadcast on ESPN+. Jacksonville State soccer dropped consecutive matches Friday, October 11th against Austin P. and Sunday, October 13th against Tennessee Tech. The Govs outlasted the Gamecocks 3-2 in two overtimes, while the Golden Eagles bested JSU 1-0 in regulation. Senior night is due up next for soccer, scheduled for Friday, October 18th at 7 p.m. at the JSU Soccer Complex. The match can be watched on ESPN+. Men's golf had the week off. Their next event is the KSU Pine Tree Intercollegiate in Kennesaw, Georgia, October 21st through 22nd at the Pine Tree Country Club. Women's golf is coming off a fourth-place finish at their home tournament, the Chris Bannister Classic at Silver Lakes. JSU's Valentina Corret finished tied for seventh in the event. As of the recording of this podcast, the women's golf team is currently competing in the Palmetto Intercollegiate, hosted by the College of Charleston in South Carolina. Cross Country had the week off as well. The Little Rock Trojan Invitational in Little Rock, Arkansas on October 19th is the next event on their schedule. Rifle did not shoot this week. Their next meet is Saturday, October 26th at the Gamecock Rifle Range against Moorhead State. Lastly, JSU Hall of Fame induction banquet tickets are now on sale. The banquet is scheduled for Friday, October 25th in the Stadium Club on the fourth floor of Meehan Hall at JSU Stadium at 6.30 p.m. The 2018-19 Hall of Fame class includes golf standout Matias Anselmo, volleyball All-American Abby Bright, 
baseball star Clay Whittemore, and former tennis coach Steve Bailey. Tickets to the induction banquet are $25 each and include your meal and a seat at the banquet. Fans may reserve tickets by calling 256-782-5368 or by emailing L McFall, that's L-M-C-F-A-L-L at jsu.edu. That does it for this week's news and upcoming events, and now it's time for our featured interview. This week, we step slightly outside athletics and talk with Jacksonville State Director of Bands and Assistant Professor of Music, Dr. Kenneth Bodiford. A former marching Southerner and graduate of Jacksonville State, Bodiford returned to JSU in 1994 to assume his current position. Ever since, the Southerners have only grown in numbers and continue to impress at halftime and after each and every home football game. Under his direction, the Southerners' numbers grew to nearly 600 for band camp this past fall, continuing a long-running tradition of excellence since the school's first band was formed in 1923. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, Dr. Ken Bodiford. Dr. Ken Bodiford, Director of Bands here at Jacksonville State University. And Ken, thanks for coming on with us. Oh, sure thing. My pleasure. So, Ken, you were a student at Jacksonville State, a member of the Southerners, and now the Director of Bands. Talk about your time at Jacksonville State. Well, uh, actually, I saw the Southerners my sophomore year. My band director brought me and several other seniors up here to see the Southerners. Well, they were seniors. And um, I saw the Southerners perform that night, and it completely changed my mind about where I wanted to go to college, what I wanted to do. And I went home that night and told my mom and dad that I wanted to go to Jack State, be in the Southerners and major in music and pursue a degree, you know, to be a band director. And so that's what I did. I came here to JSU in 1983 as a freshman and I marched in the 20J section, which is the tuba line for the Southerners. And then the following year, I started trying out for drum major and I got one of the drum major positions and I was a drum major for my last three years of college. You mentioned 20J and uh, being here on campus, I know what 20Js are and you see it a lot on cars. Explain exactly what the 20J is and the tradition behind that particular tuba with the Southerners. Well, these uh, particular tubas are antique. They were built back in the 50s and uh, Con Selmer, the company that made them, actually stopped making them in the late 50s, early 60s. So every instrument that we own today is actually older than I am. But these are what they called uh, recording tubas. They're one of the largest board tubas that has ever been made and that's one reason it gets such a big dark sound and um you know you hear bands with sousaphones or the over the shoulder tubas and they just sound different from the southerners but whenever you hear the southerners play it's that bass sound that we're able to get from those 20 j's that makes all the difference in the world and the sound that we produce and it gives us that unique sound that no one else has after Jacksonville State, get your master's at East Carolina, mm-hmm. get your doctorate at Alabama, and then during all of that, you're the band director at Kickatan High School, which is in Hampton, Virginia. And one of the notes about that was when you started out, there were about 80 members in that band, and you were able to grow that to 250. Talk about the recruiting that went into that and turning a small high school band, and even even by high school standards, 80 is big. But then yeah. to jump it up to 250. Well, you know, the, the timing was just great, I think. I, my personality and the kids' personality and the parents' personality just all gelled when I got that job. And it was, um, it was a really great time. I mean, it's a great way to start off my career. But we had incredible parent support. And uh, when we started, you know, one of our goals was to build the numbers up to be a larger uh, program. And 
we started doing a lot of recruiting at the middle schools and the band started getting better in quality, particularly the marching band. Uh, they had never been to a contest before, before I uh, took over as the band director. So I took them to their very first contest and they just did horrible. They were last place. <laughs> the kids were so upset and the parents were upset because they had always won the Christmas parade in Hampton. So, uh -huh. you know, they thought they were the, uh, the very best band around. That's all they had seen. But by taking them to that contest, the kids and the parents both saw what was going on outside of our little bubble in Hampton, Virginia. And uh, boy, those parents got to work and they got us brand new uniforms. We got new drums, new instruments. We were able to build up our budget to where we could bring in some staff members to help me out. And uh, the program just started growing after that. Whenever um, the quality of the marching band started growing, we did a lot of performances all over the place and we just recruited kids from those middle schools. And um, my last year there, we got a bid or an offer invitation to perform at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. So that's when we were about 250 students, and we took them all from the Virginia Beach, Hampton area, all the way down to New Orleans, Louisiana, to perform at the Sugar Bowl. And it was just a, it was a really great time. How much did you see that group of kids grow from the time you took over to after that Sugar Bowl performance? What was the uh, change in attitude like? for those kids that failing miserably at their first contest uh -huh. to now they're playing in the sugar bowl. Well, it's, that's an interesting question. And I think it goes with, you know, all of us teachers, we, we hope to see a, a program really take pride in itself. And when you have students that you see are proud of a program, it's just a complete different program. Uh, you know, they get a little bit taller when they put on that uniform, they perform a little bit better and uh, they're just not ashamed of the program at all. You know, yes, I'm in the band, you know, and uh, that's I think I saw that the most, but it was very interesting. I, I got to continue to watch many of them grow past high school, even though I I left uh, my, my freshmen um, when I took the job up there were becoming seniors. And uh, that's when I got the job at Jacksonville State. And um, many of them, after they graduated, they came down to Jacksonville State uh, to be in the Southerners. So I got to kind of watch them all through their college career as well. You took the Southerners job in 1994, mm -hmm. and again, just like the numbers in Hampton, Virginia, you saw the numbers of the Southerners grow, and you were talking about pride being in the band. The Southerners have always been a proud tradition at Jacksonville State, but then after you took over, you saw it grow even more. Yes, we, um, you know, Dr. Walters had been the band director for 30 years, and when he retired, you know, some things changed, and... Um, you know, when you follow a legend like that, it's going to be very tough for the next guy that's going to be the band director. And um, and you go through that at all levels, high school level, college level. And the program had, you know, declined a little bit in numbers, not necessarily in quality, but um, in numbers. So I, you know, really wanted to get those numbers back up to where they at least were whenever I was a student, which was in the 200, 250 range. And so we just we just really started recruiting. I remember I told my drum majors at the end of my first year, I said, okay, we've got to start the buzz. I said, every time you talk to somebody, tell them we've had an incredible recruiting year. We're going to have 250 people in the band next year. We didn't know if we would or not, but <laughs> that's the buzz we started. And it worked. It You know, it helped. Uh, uh, we also, uh, Troy came back on the schedule for football that year, which had been a big rival in the past. So we used that to excite the kids. And um, I think that second year, we ended up marching about 255 people. And our goal had been 250. And uh, from that moment on, it's just kind of, we started the momentum. And it's just kept moving forward, thank goodness. 
this year, you had 500 plus coming yeah, out for fall camp. We had our largest band camp ever. We had 556 that uh, registered for band camp this year. And how many? How many? stuck with that through fall camp and how well, many are you marching now we're actually we we wrote the show for 480 mm -hmm. and then we have about 30 alternates uh many of those alternates have already been put in the show because people have injuries or you know family problems where they have to drop school and go home so uh many of those alternates already march in a spot and then a lot of the other alternates are helping us with some of the props in the middle of, at the end of the show you'll see these big things go out on the field where they spin around and around, and our alternates are helping us with that. Uh, and also, the alternates get to march in all the parades. They play in the stands, uh, travel with us. You know, they're they're really a full fledged member. They're just not in the halftime show. So when you look at the Southerners up in the stands, you will see about 523, and then actually on the field marching will be about 480. The uh, near 600 that you had to go through band camp, they didn't get to experience the parking lot at Pete Matthews Coliseum <laughs> like many Southerners did in the past. And one of my friends who was a former Southerner, uh, LaVonda Bailey, that's one of the first things she brings up was oh, all those years out on the parking lot, the asphalt at Pete Matthews Coliseum. You guys now have a fantastic practice field. It is wonderful. You know, it's hard to describe what it's done for our program. I I would say um, comparing it to another major, let's say if you're a biology major, it's like letting them use a microscope <laughs> rather than a magnifying glass. <laughs> you know, that's just the difference that's made in the Southerners. We, um, we have a facility now where they can practice and it doesn't damage their calves or the knees. You know, our color guard and ballerinas, they're dancing and running through the whole show. And when we were on that um, asphalt, it just did so much damage to their knees and their ankles. And now we have a great place where it doesn't do that. The facility, you know, it has restrooms, it has water fountains and everything that we need right there in our little area. It has lights for night, you know, during band camp, we can light up the field. And we, we were able to get uh, what they call tick marks on the field. And they put them in the turf every four steps. You'll see a little gray dot on the lines. And that's a grid you know, throughout the whole field. And that's just one of the ways that we teach drill, where te people learn where they're supposed to be on a certain count of a piece of music. So they can look down at those tick marks and automatically know that's a four-step interval. And that just helps us to teach so much quicker, helps us to clean the drill to make it look like it's supposed to look. There's just been so many advantages to getting that practice facility. With the practice facility, uh, Bennett Field now, that's uh, just a few steps from the football stadium, after work sometimes during the fall, during the summer, um, I'll go on a walk and I'll walk down 204 and cut across Ladiga Trail and I'll stop by and watch the Southerners practice. And I feel like I'm not the only one that's doing that now. <laughs> have, have you noticed an uptick in people coming into camp and practices to watch practice and just yeah, kind of stand around and enjoy it? They do. It's, it's really a great location um, because it is right on the Ladaga Trail. And uh, we had actually talked when the, uh, the new practice facility was being built of possibly eventually putting some bleachers out there across the road where people could stop and sit and just enjoy the band while they're practicing. And I think they would probably fill up just about every day. <laughs> and that happens a lot here in Burgess Snow Field is that a lot of people <clears throat> line up in the bleachers and watch just practices. Yeah, we, we practice in the field almost every Thursday night, and it's become kind of a community event now that um, – you know, p families bring their children out and, and watch the band rehearse. And we, we love that because it's, um, 
there's nothing like uh, the energy that the Southerners get whenever the crowd claps for them. And uh, it's great to have that almost like a dress rehearsal before the game on Saturday by having people in the stands to watch them rehearse. Being at a school like Jacksonville State, a mid-major school, to have a band as large as the Southerners and to have that many people come out and watch just a Thursday night practice and the Southerners can be compared to really many of the bigger schools' programs. You were talking about recruitment and how you guys had 600 come out for band camp. How encouraging is that in a moment where the arts in schools aren't getting as funded as well as maybe they used to, but you see the Southerners still staying strong and these other programs with great bands when sometimes, especially when I go on the road to other schools, the conference, non-conference, their bands are much smaller. Yeah, I think it's I think it's been a great thing for the arts. And, you know, I, I hope that other universities, especially the size of JSU, can look at the program here at Jack State and realize that if they invest into a marching band, their marching band, and they build the numbers up, I mean, it can almost turn into a cash cow for them. I mean, it's it's definitely expensive to buy instruments, to, to transport 500 people. But the amount of money we cost the university is only a fraction of what we bring in in tuition when you've got over 500 students paying tuition, you know. And that's even after we back out our scholarship budget. We still make a profit for the university. And, um, you know, it's my hopes that especially the smaller universities will take a look at that and, and could use their band program as a way to make money for the university. There's a certain school, and I won't use the name, and it is a non-conference school. It's not an OVC school. was talking to someone from there, and they said, uh, first of all, we hate playing you guys in football. <laughs> but they said, second, we hate playing you guys at home because you always bring the Southerners, and they play on our field, and then our band goes out there, and it's tiny. And they said that's kind of by design as well that shows – that school's officials, hey, if we put a little bit of money into our band, maybe we could look somewhat like the Southerners. Mm-hmm. Is that a testament to you to be able to go on the road to different places and for other programs to say, we want to look like that? And what does that do for your kids' confidence and then for you as the director? You know, it, it really brings a lot of pride to the program. And, and that's one reason that, you know, whenever the team's away and um, – and we don't go to the away football game. We always find an exhibition, a, a band contest, a high school band com- competition where we can take the Southerners to perform. And we're kind of the grand finale at the end of those contests. And then that's the way we recruit for the band program. And it's just, um, you know, it, it brings a huge sense of pride to the band when these high school kids come up and ask for their autographs on programs afterwards or they're screaming just like they're at a rock concert, you know, in the stands whenever the horns come down at the end. And um and, you know, as a matter of fact, speaking of contests, you know, this past weekend, we held the JSU Contest of Champions. And um, this year, it was a little smaller than normal. Last year, we had about 30 bands. But this year, uh, we added an extra home game. So it pushed our normal weekend back to the second weekend in August, um, October. Instead of the third weekend, it landed on the Talladega 500 race. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of things that were playing against um uh, you know, our odds of having a big contest, but we still have 18 bands that showed up to the contest. And, you know, it, it, we had a captive audience of about probably 15 or 16,000 people that are just band people, band students and band parents. And they see that band, the Southerners perform at the end of the day and they just go absolutely crazy. 
And that's, you know, that's the way we recruit. Uh, we're really excited about a big show that's coming up at the end of the season. In November, we're taking the bands to perform at Grand Nationals, Bands of America's Grand Nationals in the Dome in Indianapolis. And that's one of the largest marching contests in the country of the very best high school bands in the country. So when the Southerners perform on that Friday night, we always elect, when we do that competition, we elect to do prelims uh, instead of finals because everybody's at prelims waiting to see if they made it to finals. Mm -hmm. So when the Southerners go on the field, they'll be in front of about 80,000 high school band students when they perform. And, you know, our job is to get every one of them out of their seat applauding at the end of the show. And, uh, and of course, GSU's been so supportive. They're sending some recruiters up to Indianapolis. They're going to have a GSU booth, uh, you know, trying to recruit students from all over the country. Because there will be bands from California, uh, Washington State, New York, uh, just from Texas. All over the country will be up there. This is my fourth year, and I still get chills every time. And you've been doing this since 1994. Does it ever get old, and do you ever lose that feeling of adrenaline and, all right, here we go, whenever Patrick Williams says, <laughs> you're marching Southerners, and Burgess Snowfield explodes? You know, I never do. That never gets old. And I, I don't think I ever stop being nervous. You know, people look at that like, why are you nervous? They're so great. <laughs> I'm a nervous wreck before that first note starts every show. And I just can't, you know, I've been here 26 years, and um I can't get rid of that nervousness because, you know, I think all of us directors, me and Mr. Clint Gillespie and Dr. Jeremy Stovall, we want them to be so good, you know, when they perform. So, you know, we're all wound up tight until the time that that show ends every time they perform. But, um, you know, I guess that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, I tell you, when the crowd goes crazy, that will never get old. And when I'm uh, when I retire and I'm gone, that's something I'll probably miss the most. One of my favorite things about the Southerners is after football games, singing "I'll Fly Away," and they've been joined by the football team as of late. Talk about that tradition, how that started, and if it has grown here in the last four years. Because being fairly new to Jacksonville State, I didn't see it before the 2016 season. Uh huh. Well, you know, it actually started, um, and I, I hope I've got my decades correct. But I think it was in the 60s. From my understanding, the Southerners were at um, the inaugural inauguration parade for the governor in Alabama. And uh, from what I understand, it was very cold. The parade was delayed for some reason. And the band had been standing out there forever waiting to step off on the parade. And just out of the clear blue, at that time, the drum major's name was Freddie Pollard. He kind of became a legend as one of the great drum majors of the band. But he started singing I'll Fly Away, just out of the clear blue. And everybody said he was just, you know, a fun, crazy guy that would do anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, he started singing I'll Fly Away, and the band just started joining in, and everybody got closer and closer. And before they knew it, they were in full harmony throughout the song. And after that, it just kind of stuck with the band, and they started singing it after big performances and after football games. And we still continue that to today every time we have um, a Thursday night rehearsal we sing I'll fly away you know the uh, the first night of or every night during band camp at the end of rehearsal we gather in and everybody's arm in arm and they sing I'll fly away and then uh, the, over the past couple of years uh, coach Gross kind of started the tradition of the football team coming over and joining in with the band 
And that kind of started it growing even bigger. You know, the now you I look over in the whole student section, they're all arm in arm and they start singing it, you know, with the football team and the band. And then uh, President Beeler started singing it at uh, the graduations, you know. So now it really has grown from the 1960s. You know, I never, never thought I would hear it, you know, being sang at the, I uh, sung at the uh, graduations, but um, it's, it's now we, we sing it all the time, it seems like. <laughs> and not only the director of the band, you're the conductor for the JSU Chamber Winds. Tell me about that program and what that is. Yeah, the Chamber Winds, um, a lot of them, well, I'd say the majority of them do participate in the Marching Southerners, but they're an audition group and they're our very top, our best playing uh, wind instrument instrumentalists in the university. I usually take about 66 members in that group and they play some of the top concert literature that is you know, offered in the country. Uh, concert band, you know, where everything's sitting down more formalized, if you want to think of them kind of like a wind orchestra. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're just really fantastic. You'll hear them play at some events like um, the commencement. You know, they always play at commencement uh, for the university. And uh, we give concerts both on campus and off campus throughout the spring semester. And we also give concerts in the fall semester. So those kids, not only are they in the Marching Southerners, but they're also in Chamber Winds. Uh, which meets three times a week during the uh, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Football not the only sport that has a band at it. Uh, you mentioned Jeremy Stovall. Uh, he directs Hardcore, and Hardcore is fantastic. They're also hilarious if you've never yes. seen them before. <laughs> Tell me about that Hardcore group. Um, how you select that pet band? Who who gets to play in Hardcore, and then uh, how you're able to throw them on all the basketball games. Well, you know, Mr. Stovall just does a, or Dr. Stovall, sorry about that, uh, does a wonderful uh, job with the, with the pep band. We have those auditions actually uh, shortly after band camp in the, in the middle of the fall. So they've already been selected for this, this coming year. Uh, I think that we take usually about 50 instrumentalists and then we take some dancers along with the, uh, the pep band, the hardcore pep band. And they start practicing on Sunday evenings in the fall semester so that they're ready to go for that first basketball game. But the interesting thing about that group is the auditions not only on how they play, but it's on their personality. So whenever they run an audition, their personality is part of the audition. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why you end up with such an energetic group that I think the audience loves to watch. And they are um, absolutely hilarious. And I, I go to the games and I, I can't keep my <laughs> eyes off of them. And, I, I get so tickled at the way they get the other team flustered sometimes. You know, they'll pick a poor guy on the other team and just start calling out his number <laughs> relentlessly over and over and over and just just things like that that I'm sure to the other team's not very funny, <laughs> but it is just it's so hilarious to the JSU fans to watch watch them perform while they're playing and while they're not playing. They got Randy Owen off his feet, uh, on his feet rather, uh, last year with a roll on 18 wheeler, their, their version of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. The kids were very excited about that. And you know, the, uh, the cool thing about the pet band is a lot of the students within the group will arrange the pieces of music that they play, you know, along with Dr. Stovall, he arranges a lot of the music as well, but it gives our students an opportunity to arrange music and hear what it sounds like. So when they become band directors, they've already got that skill of, of being able to arrange music for their band program. We're recording in the visitor's radio booth at Burgess Snowfield today, and I can see in the distance the mountain, and it's beginning to get to where you can barely see where the tornado went through. Um, on campus, there's still some construction being done over at Stevenson with the roof. 
And the biggest project going on right now is Mason Hall. And we were talking before that right now the music department is dispersed while Mason Hall is under construction. Tell me where everyone in music is right now. I know some of it is housed here in the stadium. Yeah, I tell you, that was really devastating to us. It's, um, I was just thinking, you know, the freshmen, which we have about 200 freshmen in the Marching Southerners this year, but my freshman class and my sophomore class, they have never been in a band room at Jacksonville State University. And, and we've able we've been able to retain them, and that was that was my biggest worry was can we keep these kids here without a music building? But because we are we have uh, a lot of our classes in the stadium tower here thanks to athletics letting us use this. We have the piano department in the bottom floor of Stone Center, which is predominantly English and history. We have our percussion and brass studios out at the old Kitty Stone, the SBIC. Um, and then the concert bands, the chamber winds you mentioned earlier, and the symphonic band, we have to rehearse in the gymnasiums at the old Kitty Stone building. And then our jazz band, all their stuff is down at the old hospital, along with our department head's office. And then my office is in the basement of Ayers Hall. So you can see we're just, we are really at the mercy of the university. And, you know, I know we, I know people are probably getting tired of us being in their buildings, but they have been so gracious to let us use these spaces uh, while we're getting our building rebuilt. When the tornado hit in March uh, 2018, I know I saw on social media a lot, uh, you were posting videos, there were Southerners posting videos and pictures, um, and a lot of the comments, a lot of text to me was, are the 20Js okay? <laughs> is, is this all right? Where's this at? What kind of damage did Mason Hall sustain? I know it was a ton. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was actually, it was spring break, and I had actually taken a cruise to Jamaica. And um, I was about to go onto the island that morning. I was brushing my teeth, and I heard on the TV, it says, devastating tornado hits northeast Alabama, Jacksonville State University bullseye. Mm -hmm. And I look around at the screen, and my blood just ran cold because it showed a picture of all those trees down in front of Bib Graves, you know. And um, so the first thing I did was I called my secretary, my assistants, and all the people I worked with to make sure my friends were okay. And, uh, and I couldn't even, I didn't even have cell service until I got on the island. And once I found out they were okay, the first thing I asked about was, <laughs> are those 20Js okay? Because they were, they're stored on the top floor of Mason Hall. Ah. And they're stored in the room next to the band room. Mm -hmm. Well, the corner where the band room was located is what got hit the worst. It tumbled all the... HVAC units across the top and just like matchbox cars. They rolled all over the top of the building. There were big holes throughout the top of the third floor. But um, Clint and Jeremy both somehow got into that building. I think it was before they closed everything off to people, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the first thing they checked on. And the only thing uh, once we got into the storage or once they got into the storage room was a little bit of rain. Some water was on the instruments, but nothing was damaged. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. But the, the band room right next door, part of the roof was completely missing. So it was completely flooded. Uh, you know, there was a piano in there that just filled up with water. It was, it was toast. And uh, a lot of our percussion instruments and, and electronic stuff got ruined. But uh, fortunately, none of those 20Js were damaged. Here we are, uh, October 2019. A lot of work has been done. It's uh, still a little ways off before you can get back into Mason Hall, but 
it is getting some upgrades <laughs> along with repairs. Yes. We've, uh, we've really grown a lot over the years, and we were bursting at the seams in Mason Hall uh, just with our music majors. So they've built an addition onto the, uh, the building, which is going to give us more room. They've repurposed the entire inside of the building. Basically, they gutted it and started over. So when you come into Mason Hall, it's going to have the same shell on the outside with the exception of the new section. Mm -hmm. But the inside has been completely reworked. It's um, Years ago, from my understanding, that building was actually the business building. Because on the bottom floor, you can see all the places where they plugged in the typewriters, mm. uh, you know, in the floor. But um, so it was never really built for music. Nothing right. was soundproof. So they've restructured all of the studios to where they're more acoustically sound. The The practice rooms will now be soundproof, which is very important for a, a musician because, you know, part of their degree, they have to practice two or three hours a day. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that they're not, they can't hear another instrument playing. Uh, they've upgraded the recital hall to where it actually looks like a real recital hall. It has a stage in it with tiered seating, higher ceilings in the band room for better acoustics. Uh, it's just, there's just so many positives now. The students are going to have their own lounge. We never had a lounge for the music majors, but now they have a place where they can congregate, study together, and, you know, work on projects and stuff like that. But it's, it's going to be much, much better than what we had before. Here in the last five years, the Southerners have gotten to take some fantastic trips. 2016, you played at the uh, Pearl Harbor anniversary. That show was called Heroes Fallen, Lost and Fallen, actually. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, you played at the uh, Rome New Year's Day Parade for the Pope. Talk about those two events and the magnitude of what it meant to be invited to those two events. You know, it was just incredible. There was one more biggie, too. In 2012, we, we led uh, Queen Elizabeth's. Diamond Jubilee over in London, the New Year's Day parade for that as well. And it's just, you know, it's just um, really mind-blowing that they look at, and, and, you know, this is not saying anything negative about JSU, but it's a smaller university. And usually the bigger universities are the ones that they will look at for those type of uh, events. But it's just, it's such an honor to get to do those. I, I will never forget the look on the kids' faces when we played for all those veterans that were survivors of Pearl Harbor, you know, and now they're in their 90s, mm -hmm. and we know they won't be with us too much longer. And it was just, it was a very heartfelt performance. And then to see the look on their face in Rome when we turned the corner and after the, we led the parade into the Vatican area, they stopped the band right there. They said, pull the band over to the right. So we went to the right, and all of a sudden, these windows opened up and there was a Pope standing in his apartment to give his blessing to the world mm -hmm. right over to the Southerners, you know, and it's just, it's, we've really experienced some amazing things together. Your 2019 show is called Earth, Wind and Fire. Tell me about that theme, picking that theme and did uh, having a home football game on the 21st night of September have anything <laughs> to do with it? Yeah. You know, I, I really wish we would have scheduled things <laughs> to where we could have played uh, September that night. But we were one week behind. Our um, uh, uh, Mr. Gillespie had gotten the flu, and he was out for about a week, and he writes all of our drum parts. Mm -hmm. So we were about a week behind getting that ready. Otherwise, we would have performed that on the <laughs> 21st of September. It would have been perfect. But, you know, we, we've sit around, and we, we've kind of thrown around this idea for a, a couple of years, and uh, it's kind of a double entendre. You know, it, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire talking about the group that we all love so much, but also it's, it's pieces that have that in the title that represent elements of the earth. Mm -hmm. 
So we open up the show with this beautiful flute solo, which is new to the Southerners. Uh, now that we use electronics, we can mic some of the woodwind instruments. And uh, we have a young lady, Chelsea Owens, that just does a beautiful job on that solo. And we open with this uh, piece that's called Earth for flute and piano. And then it goes into this really fast concert band piece of music uh, called Wind Sprints. And you'll actually see a lot of the drill will imitate people sprinting. You see the ballerinas running. You see the horn players running at some parts in the drill just to kind of imitate that wind atmosphere. And then we get around to the ballerina feature, and we actually do feature a piece by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And we open it up with the introduction of one of my favorite Earth, Wind, and Fire pieces, which is In the Stone. Mm -hmm. That may be because I'm a tuba player, and that piece has a great <laughs> tuba part. But uh, we use that as an introduction, and then we go into September for the rest of the piece. And then I've just always wanted to hear the Southerners play Bridge Over Troubled Water. It's just, I love that Simon and Garfunkel piece. And I thought, well, I can work this into this show because it really is kind of like an element dealing with water. So mm -hmm. I just threw it in because I liked it. And uh, everybody else did too. The rest of the staff loves that piece of music. So that's how we ended up with that as the ballad in the middle of the show. And then we wanted something real fiery uh, for the end to represent fire and we took uh, the Mozart Requiem, which is very dark and forceful, and uh, we put that as the first part, and then Mr. Gillespie continued out using that thematic material for the drum solo. And then uh, we pulled the ending of a drum and bugle course show. Uh, a couple of years of Santa Clara Vanguard from California did this piece called Babylon, and um, it's just incredible. And the first time I heard him perform, and I said, that's got Southerners written all over it. <laughs> And I have 18 French horn majors in the band this year. So the horn part is very, very difficult. If you listen to it, you hear a lot of really fast runs, mm -hmm. you know. And um, so we have a really strong mellophone section, which plays those horn parts. And so we chose that for our ending. So after the drum solo, uh, we go into that piece. And it's probably the most difficult piece that I've ever done with the Southerners since I've been the director. And I tell you... Uh, it just seems like the harder the music that I throw at them, the harder they work on it. And they're just eating it alive. They love it. The students love it. And they've really uh, worked hard and they're doing a great job performing it. This weekend is homecoming. So you've got the homecoming show coming up Saturday after the game against Southeast Missouri. Yes. You'll be uh, performing your entire show after the game. We will. We, we have been really perfecting it, getting it ready for homecoming and for our big show up in Indianapolis. This the, Our next home game, you know, we won't perform at all at halftime because we really use all that time now for the homecoming court, the homecoming queen and king and all that. But uh, after the show, if our fans will stick around, we're going to show you the full show that we're going to perform up in Indianapolis. And if the kids keep going the way they're going, it should be a spectacular performance. I tell you, finally this week, the temperature has broken and we can start rehearsals below 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it has just, it's changed all of our lives. I tell you, we have suffered this semester with this heat. Usually about 415 when we start, it's about 97, 98 degrees, which means on the turf, it's about 135. Mm -hmm. And uh, we give breaks where we were giving breaks, you know, every 10 minutes or so uh, to keep the kids hydrated. But they have pushed through it like champions. And Boy, now it's just nothing. <laughs> when you have temperatures <laughs> in the 80s, it feels wonderful, you know, and, and actually we've been in the 70s a couple times this week. So we're all really looking forward to tonight's rehearsal. It should be great weather under the lights in the stadium. And so lastly, to close it out, if someone listening to this wants to be a Southerner, what do they have to do to uh, look for more information and 
uh, to reach out. Yeah, if, if they will go to marchingsoutherners.org, that's our website, and they will find all the information they need there. They will find my email address, how to contact me, or they could just go to jsu.edu, and uh, they could do a search for Ken Botterford, the band director, and uh, I'll be glad to email them back with all the information that they need. And we, we invite seniors to come out and spend a day with us. Uh, we have a lot of students and their parents. They'll come out and we'll set up a tour. They'll bring their instrument and they'll go play in the chamber winds rehearsal with me. And then they will come to Southerners rehearsal at the end of the day. So by the end of the day, hopefully we'll have them hooked on the Southerners and JSU. Well, Dr. Potterford, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, We can't wait to see the full show after the game on Saturday. Well, I appreciate it. We're looking forward to performing. That does it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. Be sure to check back in Tuesday, October 21st, as we release a new episode. Until then, for Avery Davis, I am Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.